Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again. Welcome back to the Lucky Titan Podcast. And today we're here with Prantik Mazumdar, and I'm really excited to have this guy here. First off, it took me a while to figure out how to pronounce his name because I'm a hick from Idaho. So that took me a minute, but I was excited to, to get his bio because when I received Prantik's bio, I was like, man, this is a guy who is doing something that I would love to do, which he's really working in the Southeast Asian markets, growing businesses. He's looking towards investing, doing some amazing things over in that sector. He's grown his own company to over $10 million in sales and just got bought out by Dentsu, which if you aren't familiar with Dentsu, go look them up. One of the biggest companies in the world. So Prantik, first off, super excited to have you here, man. And then can you say what's up to everybody and we'll hop in. Absolutely. Uh, hello, everyone. Great to be on this show, Josh. I should tell you, A, your name is obviously easy to pronounce. B, uh, what's amazing about your name is it also is the name of a, a, a unicorn company out of India. Uh, although in India, you would pronounce your name. Some people would pronounce your name as Josh or Josh rather. Josh sort of means excitement. And so there's this chatting app, which is a unicorn, which is spelled just like your name. So I think it's a lucky name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go look it up and be like, Hey, uh, can I get a piece of your equity for my name? Right. <laughs> I'm going to go look them up. You said they're out of India. That's right. I'm totally going to go look that up anyways. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you having you here, Prantik. And I'm excited to really dive into a, how you got to where you're at and then how you are, are planning to scale and, and do the next steps of, of your journey. Because I found this interviewing a lot of people who've done multiple successful businesses and they're getting bought out. There's this really weird moment where you know you've you've sold your company, you're collecting the cash, and then it's this oh crap, what's next moment, right? Because <laughs> like hey, I got all the money, but then you've been so busy working and pushing the company and everything. So I am curious, what is next for you? Like what's going to be your next big step? Yeah, I love that question. No, and you know it's. Uh, I was just having lunch with another entrepreneur uh, and he's going to something similar. So we spend an hour talking literally about what next. And I guess maybe I'll kind of cover two things as to what's going on in my head when I sort of, uh, how do I, when I sort of feel that what's next and be literally what's uh, next in my mind. Uh, you know, I think what's very interesting is when you've sort of been running and uh, a company and you've been running and scaling and growing this for about 15, 20 years, uh, there's a particular a physical and psychological pattern, right? Uh, for example, when you start, when you grow, you're on doing partnerships, you're selling, you're delivering, you sort of feel uh, happy and nervous at the same time about the fact that, you know, there are about 70 people in our company, their payrolls and their families, you're sort of responsible for that. Uh, when those people do well in their professional lives, when they make money, you feel very satisfied. It's great. But once you've sort of sold your company, uh, a lot of that sort of, that rhythm stops. Uh, so A, you've got to sort of A, acknowledge and realize, boy, uh, that was a good run, but guess what? I'm not a, I'm a founder, but I've sold the company. You know, I've, I've sort of, I have to accept that I've sort of passed the, passed the gift or the passed the parcel to someone else. So acknowledging that is hard. I think the other thing psychologically, and I don't know if this happens with a lot of the folks in the audiences who may have sold their businesses is, we may have made some cash, as you rightly said, there is wealth, which is in a bank. But, you know, for 15, 20 years, we sort of used to this cycle of delivering something and earning, whether it's a salary, whether it's dividend, some sort of a cash flow. Suddenly, that income cash flow sort of dries up. 
and it's a very weird thing because there is wealth in the bank but i am psychologically used to this cycle of doing something and collecting money but without a business that cash flow that liquidity sort of dries up uh, so that's a that's a very very weird sentiment to sort of digest and deal with now with that in mind you know the question that always sort of bothers me is literally what's next and i must admit as i shared with you at the outset of the podcast is i don't have a definitive answer but i do have a direction and i'm enjoying the space because since i know my direction and my direction is sort of to look at something in the world of investments and i'll sort of double down on that in a bit but over the last 3 years you know since i've sold my company and i'm sort of uh, so i sold my company to dentsu and i'm still very much part of the dentsu management team and i'm running a pnl in singapore but i've had the fortune and the the privilege of sort of exploring my interest in the world of investments and i do that by three things i have been i realized that unless i put my money where my mouth is unless i take risks i'll never learn you know so i've i've never been a believer of just bookish learning or degrees so i said i'm going to sort of build a portfolio an angel investment portfolio so i sort of started doing that 3 years ago i have a portfolio of about 35 companies across southeast asia and india mostly uh, pre seed seed stage some series a then there is an investment aspect to it i realize look i'm happy i'm rather i'm not happy just cutting a check i've got to be involved in some way if the founders uh, need my help in some way so with some companies i'm helping them fundraise helping them get clients helping them sort of build their team i'm big on our culture sort of helping them out there so investments advisory i'm a limited partner uh, with a few vcs in the region ones into enterprise tech saas ones into alternate protein ones into consumer web so if you notice i sort of spread my wings a to diversify b just to sort of expand my learning horizon and the third is uh, some sort of give back so i'm an entrepreneur at residence at a uh, business school called insead uh, which has campuses across singapore france and uh, silicon valley as well and there's a entrepreneur body a global uh, body called thai tie which started out of the silicon valley but i am part of the board of the singapore chapter so those are three things i sort of started consciously doing just to immerse myself in the southeast asia ecosystem to explore what does investments mean i was a complete noob i had no idea what safe meant what uh, liquidation preferences meant i had to learn the language i had to put my money to just see because you know someone told me this that till you cut your own check and realize that money is gone you don't get that feeling you don't get that sentiment that man this money may never come back again so it is very important for me to sort of go through that process so that's how i sort of uh, you know figured that i think i i can add value after my entrepreneurship journey as an investor as an advisor i've sort of built a portfolio still early stage let's see where it goes uh, but it's exciting so what next i don't know the definitive answer but my direction is uh, definitely something uh, in the domain of venture investing could be early stage could be mid stage uh, sectors i'm agnostic but i definitely want to explore something in uh, in the impact world as well uh, not because it's sexy because esg there's a lot of noise i genuinely believe that there is money to be made whilst one creates impact and specifically uh, in the domains of education and health so that's where my mind space is at see and i i love that because you know it's interesting is there's there's so many different schools of thought as as what you should do with your money right some people are oh you should go straight philanthropy or you should go straight into investing i i think there's a happy medium and it's entrepreneurship right it's investing in companies that do both um, i think that's so cool that you've you've decided to kind of go that route 
And then Prantic, I, I am curious because Happy Marketing, right, is the company that you sold to Dentsu. Yeah. Happy, happy Marketer. Yeah. Happy Marketer, excuse me. So it was a SaaS product, right? No, it's a pure services. We offered digital transformation and digital marketing consulting services to uh, three kinds of customers, either uh, VC-backed uh, fast-growing startups from Southeast Asia or multinationals. There are about 7,000 of those in Singapore. So uh, obviously we didn't service all of them, just a small subset in banking, insurance, telecom, and airlines, uh, and education. And uh, also what's called GLCs, which is government-linked or state-owned enterprises in Singapore. Uh, so pure services, yeah. Awesome. Well, and are you um, with the the services model, right? Because we have a marketing company, right? And there's a lot of people listening to this have marketing agencies, service-based businesses. It's interesting because hitting 10 million in revenue is kind of that dream number for most people. It's pretty easy to take a marketing agency to half a million or to a million dollars, but then you hit that million dollar mark and it, it's, it stagnates. So what were kind of the big changes that you made that were that tipping point or that catalyst for you to be able to hit that $10 million mark? Yeah, brilliant question. Uh, three things really. And uh, well, I, I didn't make this three Ps up, but in my head, it's literally three Ps that are sort of uh, crystallized that in my head. One is uh, pivot. And when I say pivot, every two or three years, we sort of pivoted to something that's new, something's exciting, uh, something that the market demanded. What do I mean? Uh, you know, we started off purely as a, uh, what the market would call a marketing agency. So we are implementing uh, you know, data analytics, CRM, loyalty, uh, performance marketing services. So that's the implementation. But very soon in real, I, we realized that in Singapore and Southeast Asia, there's a huge demand for training. Companies love and the government spends a lot of money to sort of build capability because Singapore is very small, five and a half million. So all Singapore has its people. So Singapore government wants to ensure that the people are well-trained and capable of sort of you know, delivering stuff. So we actually built a subsidiary called Future Marketer to make marketers future ready. So that was the second pivot. The third pivot was consulting. In 2016, we sort of had a partnership with the Boston Consulting Group because the consulting group was sort of consultancies in the world around the world were going through this transition where they realized that selling dreams or selling PowerPoint narratives alone was not enough. Clients were demanding pilots and clients were demanding proof of concept. So they came to us and said, hey, guys, can we work together where we take care of advisory and consulting across the group? You guys you know, help us develop products, create some proof of concept. So some sort of you know, what we call converting PowerPoints to profits. How do we sort of execute the advice, right? So that whole pivot is the first P. Second one is partnerships. I think a game-changing moment for us was in 2014, 2015, we realized that we can keep scaling up our sales team, uh, good or bad. One challenge we noticed was, you know, if we had a great salesperson, if he or she leaves, suddenly we're in crisis. So we have the good fortune of working with partners like Google, HubSpot, Salesforce, and the Boston Consulting Group for various sorts of partnerships. I think a lot of our growth, a lot of our success is thanks to our partnership with Google, because at one point in time, we were the only agency in Southeast Asia, which was a preferred partner for Google across not just ads, their analytics products, their training products, as well as Google Cloud. And Google has been a fabulous partner because A, they don't have an internal sales team in, in most of those domains to cannibalize sales. They share revenue and margins very well. They open doors and refer leads. And when they refer leads, the win percentage is very high. So we took a very stringent call saying we won't have a sales team beyond the partners. 
So all our sales basically happened through partnerships. So the second P really helped us scale. Uh, it could have gone either way, but it, uh, it definitely helped us over time. The third P is people, uh, because at the end of the day, we're a services business. And when I say people, uh, you know, so we call our group the happy tribe. And it's the culture. Obviously, culture is something fuzzy. It's hard to sort of describe. But a couple of things I would sort of share with the audience is one is, you know, a, it's, the set of, it's a set of behaviors uh, that people do or people are encouraged to do when no one's looking. Right. That's one way to look at it. And the other thing is, uh, you know, I read somewhere and I sort of related that to what we had built is whether it's in your community, in your company, in your country, there are two sets kinds of people. Either you're a passive resident or you're an active citizen. So one of the things we really stressed is the people who we want to hire in Happy Market or who have done well are people who are active citizens, meaning who take initiative, who are empowered, who are allowed to experiment and fail. But we we rather have people who take risks and do their stuff rather than sort of give them a checklist or be prescriptive. Uh, so that's the third P of people and that culture. So these are three things I genuinely think that allowed us to flourish, apart from the macroeconomic factor of being you know in the right place at the right time. Southeast Asia is obviously booming, so there's a you know there's a big wave that we are capitalizing. So that's the macro, but the micro would be the pivot, the partnerships, uh, and the people. Love that. Yeah. Awesome. Those are good three actionable steps I hope people will, will look at and, and implement in their companies. So I do want to ask you, what was that moment when you realized it was time to be acquired? Was it simply because you, they made you an offer or do you feel like there was a natural moment when you're like, I, this is as far as I want to take it? Anything but that. There was no natural moment. We had never set it up to sell, to be honest. Our game plan was to... Uh, keep running it uh, like a, a business with succession plans, you know, something like an Accenture partnership or an Infosys Wipro, because uh, we had seen these companies where idolize these tech IT services companies growing up in India, Indonesia. Uh, but serendipity uh, through a friend, a very dear friend of ours who himself is an entrepreneur, he connected us to a gentleman called Ted Ray, who is from Colorado, who was part of Merkle, which is a company based out of uh, Baltimore. And Merkel was acquired by Dentsu in 2015. And Ted was sent to Asia Pacific to basically grow organically and through acquisitions. So our friend Shivanu connected us with Ted Bray. And Ted Bray basically came and said, hey, guys, you guys seem interesting. I, and he was very, he was, uh, you know, he, he sort of was direct, yet he was patient. He said, look, I know it's not an easy decision to make, but I want to make my intentions clear. Here's my roadmap. I think you guys are a great fit. But it took a very, very long time, Josh. It, uh, took about two years uh, right from the first meeting to the last one because it is emotionally draining. You're not sure whether you want to sell uh, the negotiation process, uh, you, know, you know, preparing your book. So it took a very, very long process. But I think there came a time when the day we met Merkel's founder, David Williams, who flew down, he sort of shared his 30-year uh, journey, which started from zero, and they went to a billion dollars before being acquired by Denso. That was inspiring. And I think he, they played their cards right. They, they were very patient. They said, look, you know, we understand how close this is to your heart. This is your baby. So they basically said, guys, look, here, tell me your ambition. And once we share our ambition, he said, what if I give you a roadmap to hit that ambition five years earlier? And I think that's, that was a point. That is one of the points. The other one was the cultural and the product fit. Uh, I kid you not, but there came a point when they sort of shared what they do and how they operate. It literally felt like and there was an insider joke that, uh, you know, Happy Marketer was a mini Merkel. 
I mean, I, either they pitched it really well and convinced us to believe that, or it just genuinely felt that. And I think when, when the ambition was calibrated that, look, you know, our, this is our ambition and we can get there quicker. And I think when the culture fit felt good, uh, the product offering fit felt good, we were sort of nudged to say, okay, you know what, uh, let's go down this rabbit hole and explore what it looks like. Yeah, I love that. Wow. See, and it's so interesting because there's so many different just ways to go about selling your company or exiting a company. You think that there's, you either hand it off to your kids or you sell it. And that's just really not the truth. There's so many different ways to leverage your existing model to generate cash. And I've, I've seen so many deals. We had a guy offer to one of our companies to just buy 70%. It's like, we'll take it over. And then you keep your 30%. He's like, I, I just expect you to be on a call once a month. Like that's pretty enticing <laughs> in a lot of yep. ways, but it's also really hard to step away from your baby, as you said, because it's so you've put so much blood, sweat, and tears into growing it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but tell me your views. I mean, you know, what, what's you know, you've obviously seen so many founders and businesses, uh, you know, get investments and exit. I mean, at, how do you sort of look at the acquisition? What should founders sort of look at when deciding whether to sort of sell or not sell? Oh yeah, and I appreciate the question. What I've seen is two things, right? Is a are you are you prepared for a sale? Because everybody's like, okay, I'm just gonna sell, right? COVID was that atypical moment where everybody was like, hey, it's a perfect time to sell type situation. It was not the perfect time to sell. You sell <laughs> when there's no availabilities in the market. Um, you don't sell when everybody else is trying to sell. But um, the other thing that I would say is is looking at your lifestyle plan. I've I've found with mm. most of the entrepreneurs I work with they hit a point where they're like, I'm at a lifestyle that I don't want to compromise. Right. And, and a lot of people look at the tech life and they say, Oh, it's sexy. I want to build this big tech company and exit. Building a tech company means 100 hour weeks every week until you can get somebody to buy you. And yes, you'll have a big cash out if you succeed, if you succeed. Right. right. And to me, I don't really like playing the funny money games. So I, I love to see that, um, companies like yours, like you actually grew a real business, not a fictitious numbers business that you could sell off to some big entity, right? Does that make sense? That's that's kind of my methodology. No, I love the two things you said. You know, I was just discussing with my friend this afternoon is I think as entrepreneurs, I mean, fundamentally product valuation or, you know, like in our case, EBITDA multiple, I think that's a fundamental question. The other is, I think I find it very discomforting when we only measure life by just one axis, be it money. I think unless I look at money vis-a-vis -vis time, and when I say time as in your life stage, I think that's important because, you know, when I'm 20 and I'm single, but as opposed to now when I'm nearly 40 with a five-year-old, the circumstances are fundamentally different. And you've got to question ultimately, why are you doing this, right? There's, there are other elements of life. There's mental health, there's family life, there is your physical fitness, your perhaps your travel plans or, or other ambitions in life. Uh, and I think sometimes I find a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the product-led valuation game, it's you're just chasing this mirage that I just want to be a unicorn. I don't know why, but sounds sexy. I want right. to build a uni unicorn. And funnily, ironically, unicorns are mythical. And But yeah, again, not judging anyone, but yeah, I, I love that point that you've got to sort of measure it against other axes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I love your perspective on it. I love hearing the perspective of people who've been there because there, there is a moment where you have to ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, am I chasing the fame? Like, do I want to get on the cover of Forbes? Is that why I'm wanting to be that quote unquote unicorn? 
Um, I, I don't believe in unicorns either, but um, <laughs> I don't think it's a real thing. And I think in the tech space, you watch these companies who do make lots of money and you go talk yeah. to their founders afterwards and they're very dissatisfied. They're very dissatisfied with life. And because uh, they had to sacrifice everything for literally 15 minutes of fame, they're sold and nobody even hears about them ever again because they got ate up by a huge monster, right? And that's uh, that always gets me concerned for people, you know, <laughs> but, you know, we are coming up to the end of the interview, Prentix. So I do want to ask you, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, easy. I think easiest to find me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Prantik Mazumdar. I doubt there are too many of us, but if you want to just narrow down your search, Prantik Mazumdar Singapore, uh, you'll find me, just hit me up, send me an email or a follow, just follow me there. That's the easiest. In case you're on Twitter, my handle's Pranmaz. So it's at the rate P-R-A-N-M-A-Z. And yeah, that should be the easy way. Make sure you go follow him there and connect with him as well, guys. If you have a podcast, interview this guy. He's obviously knows what he's talking about, has a lot of knowledge to share with the world. And I'm excited to hear more interviews of you, Prantik. So I do want to ask you though, just to wrap the interview up is what's one final parting piece of guidance you have for our audience? You know, I think just especially post-COVID, I'm just going to sort of reiterate the fact that I think whilst it's a cliche, just getting to discover your why or just focusing on the process. I mean, to me, entrepreneurship is all about, you know, A, it may sound philosophical, but it's a, it's, a, it's a way to sort of discover what works for you, what excites you. I mean, it's a way to sort of find your why, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's a very, very satisfying process. And the whys can be very different. Like you said, could be Forbes, could be, you know, helping sort of make others richer, could be to sort of solve a massive problem, but find that why. And again, at the same time, I would also sort of say it is not for everyone. I think entrepreneurship is uh, unnecessarily glorified. Again, it's yeah, it's fun to be an entrepreneur. At the same time, it's not fun at all. It depends on the day. Uh, so, but if you want to give it a shot, find your why, go through the process, give it all. But if it doesn't work out, it's absolutely fine. You know, the the beauty of our lives is we live in an era where there are plenty of opportunities. You could be a DJ, RJ. You could enjoy driving an Uber, Lyft. You could run a bakery. Uh, but at the end of the day, life is long, but life is short too. So just sort of figure out what you want to do. Just follow your sort of passion. At the same time, the passion that can help you make money, where there's demand for the uh, for that passion project. But just don't leave any stone unturned. Just you know, give it a shot. If you if there's an itch, give it a shot. Go itch it, and uh, hopefully you'll find your path. Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan Podcast. If you learned anything from this or any other episode, make sure you rate it and share it with another entrepreneur who could help. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the flip side.